In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. The Old Testament may be ancient, dealing with a time foreign and unknown to us, but its people had the same emotions as we do. They were tempted. Their patience was tried. Anger stalked them. Jealousies devoured them. Love was overwhelming. Children were rebellious. Neighbors were fickle. The weather failed them and their leaders faltered. What does God tell his chosen people to do? To seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. What does he tell us to do today? The same. How would the world look if even those who claim to be Christians followed his teaching How would our personal lives look if we treated God as a best friend, sounding him out before doing or saying anything? How would our public lives look if we did the same? Our dog was a rescue mutt. He'd been abandoned and we found him at the shelter and took him home. You know dogs, they live to be around their owners. Our dog was no exception to that rule. He spent his whole life striving to please us even when he went deaf and could no longer guard against unusual noises in the night and blind and couldn't protect us from pesky squirrels getting too close to our chimney. He never forgot who he could have been had we not rescued him. He never stopped paying us back for the gift of family we gave him. His eyes spoke of his love for us. His head rested gently on our feet. His barks and wagging tail greeted us in our homecomings. His obedience proved his respect and love for us. And we didn't create him. We could learn a lot of lessons about how to love God from a dog. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is a regular to my show, Mike Donnelly, an attorney with Homeschool Legal Defense Association. We're going to be talking about a global homeschool conference that went on in Germany recently. I'll continue on about my experience with co-oping, talk about obedience, give an update on the wedding, (coughs) excuse me, and take a different look at Christmas, perhaps if I have time. I'm back to my PG tips and a biscuit to join me. So join me, three Levenses, they're joining me too, and have some fun as I talk about my exploits as a grade-training mother, Gretchen Rowe from Calvert's phrase, here in my second home, America. Last week, I was telling my story of how I figured out who to share a co-op with. I was finally warming up to the revolutionary idea, at least in my home school, that I could possibly share my children with other like-minded families who all lived at home together 24-7, just like we did. 
the slender stranger whom I picked on at the gym with her three well-behaved children, two of whom took gymnastics as my crew did, was not like me at all. I would never have agreed to do something as radical as co-op in the first months of my homeschooling experience, but then, thank goodness, not everyone's like me. She was a newbie homeschooler, though, and she was raring to go and wanted me to rare too. We had all her books and materials by the beginning of June, just as I was getting settled into a summer of unstructured fun under the Texas sun. And she insisted that I prepare for her perusal and subsequent approval my English lesson plan for the autumn semester. I had agreed to teach English in return for art. I complied knowing full well that by the end of August, which marked my true preparation time for Wildflower Academy, I'd have no recollection of anything that I had submitted to her in June. I allowed her the rarings, and we spent the summer getting to know each other through a mutually enjoyable activity called swimming lessons. She was a swim teacher and very good at it, and I had access to a pool at a house I'd been watching for the year. We organised our schedules so that we could meet every week for a packed lunch and a swim. Fickle as children are, I prayed that they wouldn't grow tired of each other's company by summer's end before we even started the co-op. However, I needn't have worried because a couple of birthday parties at the pool, bringing new children into play, and field trips to other water-based venues such as wet and wild and surf and swim helped forge strong friendships that lasted for years to come. Viewed through chlorine-blurred eyes, we survived the long, hot Texas summer. The first day of co-op rolled around and my children were well-seasoned in adapting to the new routines at the start of a new school year. We'd been given our homework, instructions on how to construct a portfolio out of large pieces of cardboard. And with these in hands, we loaded up the van and headed out for art enrichment and English language. Our initial impression on entering my fellow co-op's house for the first time was the sense of chaos. She had three children who, in their own home, bounced around like a small army of grasshoppers and chattered loudly and constantly without ever seeming to take a breath. I hadn't noticed this in the outdoors, but within the constraints of four walls, it was obvious that discipline was a class that was desperately needed. My children understood the difference between indoor and outdoor voices, a critical distinction that obviously doesn't come naturally, and a lot of visitors to our house had commented on. Your house is so quiet, they'd say. Now I understood their surprise. The host family also had a very large, rather intimidating at first glance anyway, dog called Chloe. She was a German shepherd with a heart of gold and fur that caused my allergies to flare. I mentally noted to bring my inhaler with me next time and suffered in silence that first afternoon. We were treated to a good look around the house and the children ran off to various bedrooms to explore, shriek, run and be excited. Slender Stranger and I sat and talked while we waited for the children to settle and come to us. Who was in charge in this house? Exact details of how we progressed through the semester aren't clear from where I stand now. It was a little bit of a blur. However, in hindsight, I do have an impression that I came away with after this particular child share had run its course. On our way home each week, our psyches were rattled. By this, I mean we all felt sapped of energy, both physical and mental. Something went on that drained us during the few hours we were abroad from Wildflower Academy, and none of us could put a finger on any one thing. A friend commented later that certain people suck the air out of a room. I think this was what was happening. 
A whole family was competing for attention, leaving little or no room for anyone else. When we arrived home, we had to retreat to our own spaces to come down from the high of concentrating amid a noise level many decibels higher than anything we'd ever achieved at Wildflower Academy. It's quite horrifying how much additional noise three extra children generate. From day one, I noticed that first-time homeschoolers don't quite have it all together yet. Discipline and the newness of being taught by mum have not become second nature. Slender Stranger's art was good, her ideas were creative, and she had all her materials lined up and ready to go. What she lacked in experience, she more than made up for in content, but she couldn't adapt to the varying skills levels evident in the mixed-age group. Now that they were landlocked and unable to have fun by themselves in the water while she focused on teaching butterfly slope to the oldest boys, for example, they were wild, quickly turning an art lesson into a gymnastics meet. When she wasn't working with the younger ones directly, who really couldn't be left to choose their medium without guidelines, they experimented by themselves and ruined future projects for the others. Pastels aren't crayons, although they look similar, and they can make a lasting mess on fabric cloths, including clothing and upholstery. Poor Slender Stranger learned the hard way. Consequently, she had to teach her art classes three consecutive times in the afternoon to accommodate the varied abilities. I took the remnant off to read aloud to. She brought a lot of academic art history into the class, which of course I found captivating. All the children wanted to do was to get their hands dirty, their faces smeared and their paper filled with colour and then hung on a wall for display. The class ended up not being as hands-on as my children had imagined, especially my oldest girl, who'd been the one to originally express her desire to paint in the first place. Because everything was new for Miss Slender's children, she hadn't quite got the hang of demanding obedience before continuing with the lesson. I suppose having other students in attendance was, a, was less intimidating than when her children refused to listen to her. A trickle-down discipline problem resulted from the whole class. It was her house and her skill I wanted to tap into. I didn't interfere while she was conducting her art lessons. I taught my English language when children became available and non-verbally dared my children to put a foot out of place when under my jurisdiction. Trained as mine were, it was difficult to keep seven children in line when all they wanted to do was continue the habit of playing whenever they were together as they'd done all summer. I read stories, helped with essays and taught grammar rules of songs, but it was all a matter of hit and miss. When the afternoon was half over, a break was called and when the weather permitted, they went outside to play. But we all know that when a break occurs, it is next to impossible to restore oral order when the day is drawing to a close and it's time to be finished. Art is art and enjoyable, but playtime always wins hands down, even without a trampoline in the back garden. When the break was over, we could never completely re-engage them with academia. After a semester, and we did manage to complete 12 weeks, we called it a day or three months and went home toting our portfolios, handsomely bursting at the seams. I resumed my one-room schoolhouse without another co-op, de deciding that if I could find the right books, I could teach my children art without having to drive to another town, abide by another's mother's unenforced discipline rules and endure other people's children. Circumstances finally caught up with Slender Stranger, the art teacher. 
After a year, she decided that homeschooling wasn't for her. The last I heard, she'd returned to work and re-enrolled her two boys and her girl in public school. I did overcome the shock that I could not be everything to my children at all times. In fact, I decided that I didn't want to be everything for my children at all times. It wore me out and wasn't healthy for any of us. Co-oping was here to stay, only under my terms. My initial and greatest fear was that my children would prefer other mothers as their teachers, which was laughably unfounded. I discovered that because of my non-conventional approach to education, and I was committed to make learning fun for everyone. Traditional methods didn't have a place in my school, and I avoided those who wanted to bring the public school into my home. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Do you ever feel like you're the invisible woman? Too polite to be political? Too nice to be real? Tame, even though you really want to be unleashed? Like you're living in a fairy tale without the happy ending? Well, Cinderella has left the ball, and it's time to wake up and break up with our own self-imposed glass slippers and ceilings. Welcome to Le Chic Speak, the polite woman's guide to self-expression, with your host, Jen Duchenne. Le Chic Speak is the Woohoo Radio Network's resident radio show dedicated to helping women turn on their power and turn up the volume of their voices so you can be seen, heard, appreciated, and celebrated. Join us on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time for your weekly dose of Le Chic Speak with your host, Jen Duchenne, only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management. The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Mike Donnelly, who serves as staff attorney and director of international relations for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Mike and his wife homeschool their seven children. He's a frequent speaker and writer on many homeschool-related topics, some of which he's shared with us over the years on my show. Mike and his hardworking colleagues at HSLDA defend both the American and international right, 
to choose how we educate our children, and their convictions ensure that homeschooling remains a parental choice for all of us. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Vivian. Great to be with you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. And um, how are you? I'm great. Doing well. God's good. Very happy. Good to be with you. Yeah, and uh, you're at home now for the holiday. Uh, well, yes, uh, yes. It's been a very busy uh, traveling season for me. I've uh, been all over the country, all over the world. Um, well, I should say in Europe, anyway, <laughs> all over yes. Europe uh, so far, and uh, lots going on. Lots going on. Lots to lots to talk about. All right. Well, I say in my intro that you and your colleagues fight for the American and international right to choose how we educate our children and to ensure that homeschooling remains a parental voice for all of us or choice for all of us. And we know from what you've told us that this isn't the case in some of the Western European countries like Germany and Sweden, where their governments are quite hostile towards homeschoolers. And you've recently returned from Germany, where the first global home education conference took place. So first off, before you tell me about that conference, why was Berlin chosen? Well, Berlin is a central city in Europe, and it's a very symbolic and historic city. Uh, you know, in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, symbolizing you know the victory of, of liberty, democracy, and liberalism over tyranny and communism. And so we thought that it was a fitting place for that reason. Mm-hmm. But of course, there uh, in Germany, uh, the government is quite hostile, as you pointed out to home education, and so we hoped that by meeting in Germany and by giving an opportunity for German homeschoolers and for those who support German homeschoolers to be able to easily, conveniently come uh, and travel within their own country to the conference, it would be helpful for them. And uh, we had uh, almost 200 people, about 196 people from all over the world, 26 countries, every continent, Mm. represented at this historic event. It was tremendous. Mm. Hmm. And um, during the planning of this conference, um, were there any obstacles put up by the the German government, or is it liberal in that respect, but not liberal in homeschooling respects? Yeah, there were no obstacles of any kind put up by any German institutions. Uh, You know, I mean, Germany is a free country. It's a democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, in every in most ways, it is, uh, you know, a very nice country, a good country. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just this one particular area, of course, some other people might have their own areas, but for me, in this one particular area, it's very concerning that there is so much obstinacy and statism that seems to be driving the resistance to change in the area of home education, and it's it's really sad, is what it is, for, for Germany and for the families in Germany who would want to homeschool their children, of which there are many. Mm. So tell me a little bit about the conference. You said 26 countries were represented there, and um, how how was it set up, and what was the role that you played? Well, I was uh, one of the organizers, I, uh, along with uh, nine other individuals from uh, another uh, other countries. Um, we had uh, people on the board from uh, from Germany, from Sweden, uh, from the Philippines, South Korea, South Africa. Mexico, Canada. It was uh, really a global board of individuals who came together, um, and it was a privately sponsored conference. Um, you know, we raised sponsorships from a number of different um, uh, companies involved in the in the homeschool arena, and uh, it was really uh, just a super uh, event. Uh, we had some great speakers. In fact. 
two of our uh, speakers were two senior German politicians, one of whom was a minister of labor under Helmut Kohl for about 16 years, recently um, you know, leaving the, 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 the national government. Uh, his name was Norbert Blum. And another one of our speakers was Patrick Meinhardt, whose party, the FDP party, is a member of the current ruling coalition party. The FDP party is a small party uh, working with the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU party, which is the party of Angela Merkel. Uh, and uh, Patrick Meinhardt is a member of the federal Bundestag. He's the education spokesperson, Christian man, uh, for that party. And uh, he uh, was very supportive uh, of our conference. He came and delivered a speech, which was very well received. And uh, he understands the need for change. And, and it's unfortunate that more German politicians in uh, in both the Bundestag but also in the German states don't really understand how important it is for some new thinking in this area. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to ask you, were there any surprises? And I suppose um, having these two um, German politicians um, get up and speak was, could, could be um, classified as a surprise, but were there any other um, surprises at the conference or did it pretty much go the way you expected? It went the way we hoped. <laughs> and, you know, one, one always wonders, you know, this is the first time homeschoolers from all over the world have ever, ever gathered together. And uh, the conference was, was, was open to all people who mm -hmm. are interested in and supportive of home education. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think some of the conference organizers were pleasantly surprised at how smoothly uh, we were able to unify and agree on a common principle that home education and the right of parents to choose home education for their children ought to be considered a fundamental human right, regardless of a person's motivation or the methodology they choose to educate their children. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, uh, people have lots of different motivations for home educating. Some people are, are motivated by their faith. Um, other people are motivated by academic rationale or a desire uh, for academic results, are concerned about the schools. Uh, and so, you know, regardless of the motivation or the methodology, some people are unschoolers, some people are very uh, more structured, some people are eclectic in their approach. Uh, you know, we, we were very happy that we were able to bring together a very diverse group of homeschoolers from so many different places with so many different ideas about how to do home education, yet we were able to really coalesce around this idea that Home education ought to be treated as a fundamental human right. And, uh, and when you look at international law, I think there's a clear argument to be made that it, it is considered as such um, under international law and a natural law sort of uh, perspective. So we were very happy about that. Well, good. Um, I know that Germany even acknowledges the fact that um, home-educated children are as well-educated as um, children in their schools, and yet they still don't want to recognize it as a, a, a valid, you know, sort of way to educate the children. And, and that is so curious. Do you think this conference might um, have moved things forward a little bit for, for the German government? I, I, I would say that it has. Uh, you know, how far forward is always hard to tell. I mean, we were 200 people in a country of 100 million, mm -hmm. um, and we had two politicians out of thousands Mm -hmm. uh, in attendance. So we've got a lot of work to do, I think. But mm -hmm. it was very encouraging for me to see 
uh, many different Germans come together. And these are Germans, some of whom are being persecuted. The Dudek family was there. The Wunderlich family was there at the conference. Uh, their attorney was there. Other attorneys from other parts of Europe and Germany were there. Um, there so, you know, I think the German homeschool community has really felt uh, challenged in, in recent years with really no hope or dwindling hope. Mm. And, and I like to think that this conference gave them a little bit of a shot in the arm of mm. encouragement uh, to give them um, a platform to start again, uh, to, to continue to develop relationships among each other and to continue to advance the idea in Germany, in the public, in the political sphere, that it's just not right for German policymakers to be hostile and to persecute parents who want to homeschool their children. And so how do German parents homeschool their children? Well, uh, you know, there's a very, very small number who have been able to work out deals with their local school officials. So, you know, the, the reality is that the law in Germany actually could allow, could be interpreted to allow exceptions but the problem is those exceptions are never granted. Yeah. Um, and so there are a couple of, a couple, maybe three or four families that I'm aware of, and there may be probably a few more around, around Germany, whose, whose local school officials have sort of looked the other way or have said, okay, we're going to fine you, but we're going to let you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of them, the vast majority, the 95-plus percent of other families, if they're found out, they get hauled into court. Mm-hmm. Uh, varying levels of pressure are brought on them. When you look at families like the Dudek family or the Wunderlich family, you see the extent to which uh, the pressure of the state can be brought to bear on these poor families. Mm. I mean, the Wunderlich family are both being prosecuted criminally, and they've already and they're having to defend their family in civil court, where the where the court has already taken away custody of their kids, mm. even though the kids are are still at home. They haven't physically removed them, but they've taken away custody. So the family could not leave the country with their children legally. You can see the kind of measures that the German state is capable of and is doing to families on a regular basis all over Germany. It's very, it's very troubling. Now, um, the Wunderlichs, um, I, I read on, your, on, on HSLDA's website, had left Germany in order to be able to continue to homeschool their children. And the story is that, that they have is just... Dreadful. In the end, they couldn't work. They couldn't get jobs in France and um, wherever they went in Europe. And they had to come back to Germany. And then this happened with their their children. The um, Child Protective Agency uh, took custody of their children. And they just just can't go anywhere with their children. So, I mean, that's a terrible story. It's, it is a, it's a very tragic story. Uh, this is an incredible family. I mean, you can see some pictures of them on our website. They're a beautiful family, a delightful Christian family. They absolutely are totally um, confident in, in God's protection of their family and totally committed in their conviction and conscience that teaching their children at home is, is what God has called them to do. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're relying on on him to deliver them, uh, and it, it looks very grim uh, for them. But we're hopeful. We're going to be working with their attorney and supporting them, and, and the Germans are not going to be able to get away with doing anything really nasty to this family without the rest of the international community paying attention and making some comments about it. All right, Mike, we're going on a short break. We'll be back shortly.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Attention parents and teachers. Here is a series of alarming yet true facts about the current state of teaching reading in the United States. The federal government has spent close to half a trillion dollars to improve reading ability, and yet we still have over 8 million students who cannot read on grade level. 440,000 students who have a total reading vocabulary of 50 words or less, and a national dropout rate of one new student every 26 seconds. Sadly, one of these could be yours. Fortunately, it's not too late to help. Introducing The Reading Show with Dr. Joe, a fast-paced, highly informative, easy-to-listen-to show led by nationally recognized reading authority, Dr. Joe Lakovich. For more on Joe on the show, check out his website, failurefreeonline.com. Listen in this week to learn amazingly simple ways to turn this problem around. The Reading Show with Dr. Joe. With your host, Dr. Joe Lakovich. Fridays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak. 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Just as we were going on our break, Mike and I were talking about the Wunderlich family in Germany. And Mike, you also mentioned Jürgen and Rosemary Dudek um, were there at the conference. Uh, did they speak? Um, who, tell me exactly yes. who these people are. Yes. Well, the Dudek family have been, uh, you know, fighting for, wow, eight years in court. I mean, they've been in and out of courts for the last eight years. They have uh, eight children. They live in a small rural area in uh, central Germany in the state of Hessen, and they have been uh, under increasing pressure. In fact, back in 2008, I believe uh, is the year, if I have my, my years correct, they were actually sentenced to 90 days in jail, each one of them, for not sending their children to school. Um, and, it, you know, it's just unbelievable the uh, attitude of the officials in this particular state in Germany and how mean-spirited they were towards this family and are even today. And the Wunderlich family is, is only about maybe half an hour, 45 minutes away from the Dudex in the same state. So it, it, it seems to be that Hessen is a very hostile place for, for home-educating families. Uh, but they, you know, they are just like the Wunderlich family, Christian family, totally depending on God for deliverance. Um, they actually have a case right now that is pending in the federal Supreme Court in Germany. And uh, we've actually been waiting. It's been about a 
a year and a half to two years that we've been waiting for the court to actually take some action on this case. And um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the court says. Um, you say that these people are fined as well. Some, some education um, authorities will say, well, we'll just ignore you, but you pay the fine. I can't imagine being fined. How do they afford to do this? Because mom is at home homeschooling the children, dad's at work, and they're being fined on top of that. Well, it's very difficult. Um, you know, in some cases, the fines are not very large, but in other cases, the fines can be very significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen fines in Germany threatened in the amount of fifty to $75,000. Wow. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, some Germans have been fined in the tens of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they typically leave before they can be forced to pay it because, you know, I mean, that's a lot of money. That is I mean, you see that kind of behavior in other countries as well, just north of Germany and Sweden. Mm. Uh, you know, the Himmelstrand family, another famous, you know, persecuted homeschooling family, recently fled the country and now is living in Finland in exile, mm. uh, have been fined about $36,000. Wow. Well, we just can't imagine that here. And I think Americans, it's very important for the American homeschooling um, I don't know, group society, um, to know what is going on, not just in countries where you expect persecution, but in countries where you don't expect it. Well, it is. It's critical. Uh, It's critically important for us to, to stand for freedom. You know, these poor homeschooling families in these countries, there are so few of them. They have no political power. Mm. And it's critical that we here in the United States and in other countries where there is freedom. Come alongside them, support them, encourage them, stand with them, and, and not abandon them, but invest in uh, defending their freedom. Because, you know, we live in an increasingly small world where technology reduces distances and ideas can, uh, can slither across borders in a moment uh, through an email or through articles. And, and you see that happening all over the world. You see you know, the bad ideas here in the United States, uh, you know, that our government, our current administration is advancing these, these just terrible ideas mm-hmm. around the world. Uh, but you can see it going the other way as well. Mm-hmm. And there are people in this country who, if given an opportunity, given an opening, would love to either uh, severely restrict or, or outright eliminate the practice of home education if they could. And so it's really important that we, uh, we defend freedom you know, certainly in our country where we've won this very significant war almost, although there are still battles that are being fought. Uh, but there are wars being fought for freedom in other countries over this issue. And, you know, we have, we have to help these people. So when you go in as HSLDA to um, help these people in court, are there any other local lawyers as well that you're working with? Oh, yeah. How, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I'm not admitted in Germany, so I work with local attorneys. Okay. I coordinate with them. We we have relationships with uh, other organizations that have local attorneys. So typically, um, you know, I'm not actually representing them in court. Although I have represented some families uh, in 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 some international human rights bodies, mm-hmm. um, you know, as well as Mike Ferris, uh, along with other attorneys. Mm-hmm. And so, but you meet with the families. Absolutely. We talk with the family. We, we are often uh, helping to find the local attorneys and working with them to help develop the arguments and um, write the arguments. And we try and bring p- pressure to bear through political lobbying uh, means, through the media, through p- public relations and things of that nature, which can be very helpful. So we try to do that. 
Um, you know, that's what HSLDA does. We do that here in the United States. We do it for people around the world. We've got to stick together. Uh, and, you know, we have the resources here because we have 80,000 member families who have chosen to, to join us and support us. And, boy, I can tell you we could use another 10,000 mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, folks need to realize that uh, this is an important fight and we need their help. Yeah, and they need to understand that by paying the the annual fee to um, HSLDA, which isn't a great amount of money, they they are helping indirectly these poor families in Germany and Sweden and, and other countries who have to pay fines, who have to go to jail, who have to leave their countries and go start life somewhere else so that they can continue following what they feel the Lord is calling them to do as far as educating their children. That's exactly right. All right. And then support, local support on the ground in Germany. You, you say that there aren't very many homeschoolers in Germany and that we've got the Dudex and the Wunderlichs that live um, within 40 minutes of each other, perhaps. Um, apart from that, not really much local homeschool support? No, there really isn't much uh, local support. I mean, again, you know, there are only you know, maybe 500 homeschooling, 500 to 1,000 homeschooled children in all of Germany, a country of 100 million people, which is a fairly large country. And so there just aren't the numbers, although there are some, there are some uh, urban areas where there are homeschool groups where you may have a dozen or so families that would come together from, you know, an hour or two-hour drive, three-hour drive to come together on a, occasionally to encourage and support one another in some areas of Germany. You do have that. Uh, sort of thing going on, but but not anything like what you have here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, going back to the conference just briefly, um, you, the group signed the Berlin dec- Declaration, which was a declaration that, um, well, you explain what that is. I've got, I, oh, I sure. know what it is, but you go ahead and explain what the Berlin Declaration was. Well, the Berlin yes. Declaration was presented at the conference. It was written by the board that organized the conference. And it's, it was essentially a resolution, and we're in the process of of, of creating a website where people can sign it. Uh, people can go to theberlindeclaration.org, and they can find the Berlin Declaration there, or they can go to the uh, Global Home Education Conference website, at, which is ghec2012, that's ghec2012.org. They can find the Berlin Declaration there to read it. But essentially, the Berlin Declaration collects the most salient, relevant uh, components of international law that demonstrates that the right of parents to choose the kind of education that their children should receive is fundamental and must be protected by government. And we, we gather that together, and then what we do is we condemn the policies of nations that prohibit home education and persecute families. We urge all members of the international community to take steps to affirm home education in their law, um, we are urging uh, human rights bodies, governments, uh, NGOs, government officials to to take action to respect this right uh, and request that the whole global home education community take active steps to communicate this resolution to their state, national, and local governments to, to, to take action either by affirming it, by signing on to it, by passing their own resolution in support of it. Uh, and, that's, and that's what it is. It's just a document that can be used to advance uh, this idea that freedom, diversity, and pluralism in education is of great importance and that home education should be considered a legitimate educational option in every nation and the right of every family and child. 
And some of this wording goes back to 1948. Absolutely. The declaration includes reference to the UN Declaration of Human Rights of 1948, which says in Article 26, Part 3, that parents have a prior right to choose the kind of education that shall be given to their children. And, and that clearly demonstrates that the parents have a, um, a preeminent right over the state in regards to choosing the kind of education that their children should receive, which must include private education and, we would argue, home education. And, you know, everyone knows that the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was a direct response to the atrocities committed in Nazi Germany uh, in World War II, and that one of the things that the Nazis did was to nationalize the education system and use the education system as a weapon to advance fascism and national socialism. And that's why that is in there, and that is why it is so important that this very critical foundational right of parents to safeguard their children from state indoctrination be advanced, and that's what we're trying to do. Wonderful. And we, my husband and I, were talking about the school system, and we we were actually thinking that perhaps the way that children are taught today in public schools because there are 30 in a class and because there's only, you know, one teacher and you really can only teach one way. You can't teach like you can as a homeschooler to each one of the particular child's strengths. That, and also because there's a curriculum and so the, ch- the teacher has to teach certain things at certain times during the year, at certain years, certain ages, that it takes away a lot of the individual thinking. It takes away a lot of the uniqueness of the child. And so the child really isn't, their, their love of education is, is kind of waning over, you know, the longer this goes on. And I think, I thought, goodness me, you know, schools, it was considered to be a good thing because we were getting the children out of the factories, off the streets, educating them, teaching them to learn to, you know, read and write and maybe do a little bit better in their lives. And it's turned into something that really leaves a lot to be desired. Well, I, I would agree. Um, you know, I mean, you can trace the origins of schooling, compulsory schooling, back to the 1600s and the role of the state in relation to the family. And that's an interesting sort of discussion in and of itself. And, and mm-hmm. I would encourage people who are interested in that history to uh, pick up a book by uh, Dr. Charles Glenn called uh, Of State and School. Okay. Um, and he's a, a Boston University education professor. Okay, we'll who's be back on this subject in just a moment. If you can just be with me for another five minutes, Mike. Sure. Great. Thank you. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. 
Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, the meaning connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on Toginet.com. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose at all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on Tugginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Five more minutes, okay? And then I'll okay. let you go. Um, you started off by wishing me a Merry Christmas, so I'm going to completely change tack now because I think uh-huh. you've, done, you've done enough about um, all of that homeschooling stuff that we talked about, which is always very interesting, but let's lighten it up a little bit. And um, Will you tell us um, how you prepare, some of the things your family does to prepare for the Christmas season? Well, you know, one of the most um, – one of the – most long-standing traditions we have as a family um, is Advent. We really celebrate the Advent season, and we celebrate it by um, uh, every uh, evening we pull out about three or four Advent calendars, mm-hmm. as well as a book that was released by Focus on the Family a number of years ago. Um, I don't remember the title of it, but um, it's something about Advent, and there are songs in it and readings and prayers. And, and so... Uh, we after dinner we gather around in our living room, uh, and if, if there's a Christmas tree, so be it. But sometimes there isn't one there quite so early. <laughs> but uh, and and uh, what I do is, um, you know, we we'll, we pull out uh, these advent calendars, and the children uh, each, you know, they are very excited to find the different day uh, for that particular day, or if we've missed a day, we may have to catch up. Uh, and so they'll pull out the little little book. Uh, or open the door, and, and you know we take turns uh, reading the different um, messages that are contained in these Advent calendars. We've got uh, one Advent calendar that has little books that you can take out and look at, and um, another Advent calendar that actually has a bunch of different Christmas carols and hymns that you push the button and then you sing the carol. And so we do all of this. We take about twenty or thirty minutes every day, and uh, and and we do that. We and that's our family devotion and our and our celebration of Christmas, and it really helps kind of orient us on on the season that's probably our our most long-standing tradition that has stood the test of time in the donnelly family Mm, wonderful and i know that um we celebrate advent too and 
our priests at church, all, all of our priests have always said, don't bring the Christmas tree into the house until Christmas Eve. And we're going, with children, you've got to be kidding, you know. So we try to keep it to the fourth Sunday of Advent, but sometimes if Christmas falls on a Tuesday, we, we do it the weekend before that, so at least it's up. But it stays up for longer. We keep our tree up until Epiphany. and um, yeah. yeah, we typically, I, I like, you know, I like to get our tree as early as possible. This year, we're traveling over the holidays, so we're not putting up a tree in our house here in this particular area. But um, I like to get it the, the weekend after Thanksgiving, and we keep it up until the middle of January. Yeah, yeah, and you get a live, tr- yeah, you get a live tree. We get a live tree as big as we can afford, and uh, we deck it out. Um, and uh, you know, I I know some people don't, you know necessarily like christmas trees but i think they're great and i think you know there is some uh value in the christmas tree and you can look at there's a great story out there that explains the legend of the christmas tree and uh, it's a, it's just a tradition and uh we we enjoy it a lot it helps to make the house smell good and reminds us every time we walk by that christmas tree that you know what we're celebrating the birth of christ and you know certainly for me easter is as important if not more important of a holiday mm-hmm. uh, but christmas is a great time and, and we use it to its fullest extent to point our children to jesus mm-hmm. that's right and um i was talking to one of my friends who said that c.s lewis back in 1950 was on a bus and um over the christmas holiday and he overheard a woman um they were stopped at traffic lights and they were outside a church and there was a um you know an, an nativity scene outside the church he said look at that they bring religion into everything <laughs> and i thought you know that's back in the 50s here we are complaining that that kind of thing you know the secularization of christmas here in 2012 it's been happening for many many years there's always there's always that that faction of people who just you know don't know what christmas is all about and i think the most important thing is we can do all these lovely um secular activities but we need to remember the fundamental reason for christmas so that's what you do with your children absolutely yeah. All right, Mike, I'm going to let you go. I've been chatting to Mike Donnelly from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And uh, Mike and his wife teach their seven children at home. And today we've been talking about the Global Home Education Conference, which took place in Berlin a month ago. Um, go to theberlindeclaration.org to sign this declaration on homeschooling and go to ghec2012.org. And I'll have those on my website um, to find out more about the conference. Um, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure talking with you, and I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, because that's what we say, filled with the knowledge that we are saved by the Christ baby. Have a terrific weekend. Amen. You too. God bless. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. So here's a nice random thought to round out the show. Let's talk about obedience in the homeschool. My slender stranger of co-op fame and her children hadn't quite harnessed the idea that when they were home, they were no longer at school. And that sounds really obvious, doesn't it? They were now homeschooling. But there is a transition that needs to occur. And some of us simply bring institutional school into our homes with the help of formal curriculum desks and sometimes whole rooms turned over to the learning and teaching While that's not a bad idea in the beginning to get your feet wet, it doesn't automatically mean your children are going to take you seriously as their teacher, just because all the school trappings are in place. Lots of mums say to me, my children wouldn't listen to me. And for some, that is a hurdle that needs to be cleared before any form of education can take place, be it formal or not. We have to establish the difference between parent and child. No brainer. I hear you. But really, 
I'm sure my fellow co-oper thought she knew who was child and who was parent, but I noticed she wasn't the one calling the shots. The dog was better behaved than the children. Hey, (laughs) dogs have had a good rap on this show this week, haven't they? Well, I know there are some schools of thought that promote equality of parent and child. However, for the purpose of this show and my take on this topic, I'm presuming that most of you buy into the idea that children need guidance as they grow in wisdom and experience. At five, how much wisdom or experience do they have? Having said that, I'm not party to authoritarian parenting where your child doesn't have any choices. I'm the result of that kind of parenting and breaking loose from my parents physically, geographically, and not until recently mentally has been a long, hard road to hoe. So how do we cohabit with our children while maintaining, one, a distinction between parent and child, and two, everyone's sanity? First off, a story that happened to Dortz just a few evenings ago. She babysat for a Highland Park mum, which means wealthy, and they're subject to stereotyping too, but I'm learning not to go there, at least not immediately. It was the second or third time she ministered to these two young creatures, girls, age five and seven, and they loved her. No, they adored her. Who wouldn't? Beautiful, long blonde hair, silver slippers, tiara, true princess material. Except this time... They had their beastly demeanors on, and Dortz is mean when she's crossed. I speak from experience. And a quick note here, children are wily critters and need to be reminded of the boundaries regularly, even when they're nearing 21, so beastly applies in my house too from time to time. Dortz is not authoritarian. She knows how she deals with that, but she had a special treat planned for them, and they were sassy. So she refused to do the special treat, and the evening didn't go well for anyone. We know as parents that sassy behavior from our children spoils it for them and us. And who's in control? We are, of course. And what is the default reaction? We cave. So they can enjoy the treat we have in store and the children can experience happiness for a moment. Here's what we have to train ourselves to do if homeschooling is ever going to work or even just simply living past the age of three is ever going to be achieved. We need to recognize that being a parent is not a bed of roses or a sleep number 36. It hurts. But if we don't let it hurt now, it'll hurt later. And I'm witness to that with my own parents. Children really want to see how far they can go. They feel insecure and at a loss when we don't lay down the boundaries. A dog pet, oops, that darn dog's done it again, needs you to be the top dog. You don't have to be cruel, but they feel safer knowing that they are not in charge ever rather than just some of the time. Get the idea? Be in charge of your rugrats all the time. I had a guest, Dr. Susan Friedman, a few weeks ago who promoted positive reinforcement, and I asked, how many times do we need to keep telling someone They're doing a great job or a wonderful person. As I was asking the question, I realized I had the answer. How great would our world be if we always let people know what a great job they were doing and really meant it? You have to really mean it because kids can spot a fraud right off. I have a gymnastics example where the parents told all the kids what a great job they did for every event. And the children knew when their performances had stunk, so they ended up not believing the adults who were constantly praising them. There are demarcation lines. We need to be honest. So establish the rules and guidelines in your house. Remember you're the parent and expect your children to obey you. Don't hit them when they do wrong. I know. Knee-jerk reaction. Perhaps self has to be worked on a bit too. Wow, 
This having children lot requires a lot of soul searching. Here's the key. Reward them when they do right. Don't reward them when they don't do right. Consequences. And the PS to this, the Highland Park mum did exactly what I would have done had I heard this tale of excruciatingly disrespectful behaviour towards a trusted and paid willing babysitter. She had them both write apology notes, hoping they wouldn't be so mean next time. And please come back and please let's play charades next time. I, in my non-Highland Parkedness, was impressed. Bring it on, parents. Let's instill obedience in our children. It'll be good for them. Last week's Toginet staff party was good for me. It took place down in Lindale where my mother-in-law lives, so we were able to accomplish two things with one long drive, a visit with family and a meal with friends and colleagues. On the way to the Ryan winery where the party was held, I saw a tyler I never knew existed. Wow, it's huge. It's not in the boonies, as I'd always thought. The food was Italian, my favorite, and we were offered lasagna and chicken alfredo. So I had a little bit of both. It was great. I was in hog heaven, literally. And you know what? Come to the end of my time. Nothing much going on this weekend. The lull before the storm. So I may just clean the house, get ahead of myself. Lovely that I can do it now. No, it'll stay that way for longer than it used to. Enjoy your second Sunday in Advent. Light the next purple candle on your wreath, Jill. Have a safe trip to Corpus, eldest son, and do a bang-up job of Christmas bombing your sister's flat. I'll be here same time, same place next week on Toginet Radio. And without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest, Mike Donnelly, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindell, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Christine, Joel, Laura, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney.